Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. We're having our usual walk through the Welsh Hills today. A few things on our mind. And as the title suggests, we want to talk about what might happen and things that would be good to happen on the day after a popular revolution that is supported by the majority of the public. So vast change happening quite suddenly and being quite shocking interesting question Anna and it's certainly been on my mind for a long time really I I will give a couple of examples uh, about what what we mean it's a phrase actually that Slavoj Žižek who we don't always agree with (laughs) but he's always stimulating uh, came, came up with um, when he was talking about the, the Occupy movement, Occupy Wall Street movement, and the way that went. And, uh, of course, he, he participated in that by giving speeches. But also, um, when he he spoke about the Tahir Square uh, revolution, popular movement, civil disobedience that happened in Egypt, uh, going way back now, I forget how many years, and I don't know if people recall, but there was a, a popular uprising in, in Egypt and the people occupied the square. Many, many people, young people, old people, religious people, socialists, all sorts of people. It was a popular, popular movement to get rid of the uh, basically a military dictatorship headed up by a, a certain Mubarak. I don't know whether he was a colonel or whatever he was, but we just call him Mubarak. And... Uh, it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and I think the uh, the police and the army did, were, were there, but I don't think they kind of like went in smashing heads t- t- that much. And eventually Mubarak uh, quit. He quit, the people won, and, and uh, the, the elation was off the scale. It's called the so-called Arab Spring. And, it, and this kind of way, it kind of kicked off all, all across the Arab world, across North Africa, up, up into Syria and places like that. And the, the Syrian, the long, long, long grinding Syrian proxy war was what their uh, Arab Spring morph in, morphed into. And it, it's ghastly beyond uh, expression with the superpowers intervening. I think it went a bit better in Tunisia. I haven't followed up on that. I don't know where it went, but certainly it had some very in- initial uh, social reforms happened after, you know. Just a, a lot of big gains were made, I would say, by, by the, the working class or the ordinary people, whatever term you want to use there. Now, there's, I'll mention this. There's an excellent film called The Square. I think it might be on Netflix... Or Amazon Prime or something like that. But I would look for it and watch it. Uh, it's it's very, very moving. Very moving. And you can see a lot, a, a lot of what was involved, you know. Because there were people milling around the square with sort of SL, SLR cameras that you could record really excellent video on them, you know. So, that, that that's the context. The context... Is of, of popular uprisings that that that, are, that have enough amplitude, make enough noise, bring enough and various peoples together to actually manage to affect some kind of social change. When I say in the case of Egypt, they got Mubarak out. Now, 
Zizek comments, he says, you know, a, a bit, you know, a bit further down the line, a couple of years down the line, he said, he said it was a sublime moment. And it was. You watch it and, you, and you've got any understanding of how it's absolutely necessary for societies all across the world to change radically. And you will be, you will be moved, you will experience the sublimity of what the people can do. This is sublimity in that 18th century sense of something that's, that, that's bigger than us, it's bigger than our individuality. In this case, we're talking about a kind of a, a, a moment of political sublimity where the, the power of the people shows itself in its absolute sort of grandeur and fastness and intensity and amplitude. Zizek says, a sublime moment. But nobody thought, or, or we were so caught up in it, we didn't consider the day after. What happens the day after the sublime moment? When we've got to get down to the grinding business of reconstructing stuff, of forming new institutions, of figuring out how we're going to feed people, of figuring out what happens vis-a-vis -vis employment, vis-a-vis -vis women's rights, vis-a-vis how your new community, your new society is going to relate to other societies around you. How are you going to be treated by the superpowers? Are they going to put sanctions on you because you had a revolution? The day after, that kind of horrible, sobering come down in a, in a sense, you know? So, it's very, very important because, because as, as, as Zizek points out, Mubarak's army, Mubarak was gone, he was banished, I don't know where he, I think he went to Moscow or something, I don't know where he went, he buggered off. But his army reasserted power, you know, and then, then there was the Muslim Brotherhood got in, in an election, because there was an election straight after. And they're, they're, they're a sort of fairly conservative, um, faith-based political movement that had been around for decades, I don't know how long. You know, they, 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 uh, they've been around a long, long time. Now, I mean, these, these politics are very complex. I'm going to go into the detail. But I think the army didn't like that and they kind of cooed them out. Anyway, the, the, it's, it's like the old situation returned. I mean, and, and society is again repressive, kind of a military dictatorship. You know, probably quite happy to work for the global corporations, which is which are always lurking behind these things, you know. I mean, they were luckier than Syria, but that's that's that is the that, the agenda that's summarised in that little phrase: "the day after." If they were going to prevent that from happening, if you could go back in time and give them some advice that they that they would they would listen to, what would you say to them? Well, uh, I'm, 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 well, it's a good good question. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just weren't ready. But, but the more important question for us now, or the question I want to address here now, is us. Because I think, I think we, we could have a sublime moment. I'm not guaranteed that we'll have one. But it, we, it looks as though we're heading for a sublime moment, you know. I would say in the West, in, in parts of Europe. I mean, America's prime for it, but of course the, the, the right is always ready to jump into these situations. I am exaggerating slightly when I say I think the right have got their ducks in a row, whereas the left are too, 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 too busy assassinating each other, you know, metaphorically speaking, and probably actually in some places. 
other places that the left's doing quite well at getting its shit together. It's certainly in the pink tide in Latin America, you know. Yeah, also, the, the, the left have to put an enormous amount of effort fighting the right wing press the whole time. Oh, well, of course, they do, they don't, you know. Like dragged back by them like every single hour of the day. Well, absolutely, they, it's remorseless. It's, yeah. You know, the, 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 the mainstream media are controlled by it. Ultimately, uh, serve the corporations, you know, the, the, the corporate governmental global hegemony. They serve that. And so, it's by no means a foregone conclusion we're going to get we're going to get a sublime moment, but we're heading for one. Simply because everything is collapsing, you know. All the systems are going into chaos at the same time. It's done. It, it, this happens sometimes, but but basically, what's happened maybe for a very long time. I don't know. Since World War Two or something, I don't know. I don't know. You know exactly where we where we put the periodization here, but you know, for 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 a long time, we've had lots of systemic instabilities and chaoses. Systems can move into into a chaotic state, but not all of our kind of basic major systems at the same time. But we got them all at the same time. Here. You know, a couple of black swan events. I mean, it shows how unstable the whole thing was. A couple of black swan events has, has, has pretty, pretty well thrown the economy into chaos. Uh, the, the ecosphere is already in chaos, and that's that's going faster than perhaps anybody thought. You know, um, extreme weather patterns and so forth. And there's no doubt about it, that's going to increase unless something fairly drastic is done. And of course, the, you know, the, the cultural system which is, in a sense, like the software, you might say, just putting it very crudely. That is also in chaos, you know. Because the powers that be do actually deliberately throw it into chaos to preserve their position, you know, by doing divide and rule, get people fighting each other, you know. So you have riven societies, the US, riven. The UK, riven, you know, whether it's Brexit, anti-Brexit, whatever, you know, woke, all that shit, riven, absolutely riven. Seriously. Uh, plus, we are, are having some kind of genuine class warfare come up, come up here into intensity. I mean, a society like ours is always in a condition of class war. It's just not always that that obvious and, and not spoken about, obviously, by the mainstream press. But now it's it's it's, it's coming up, you know, in its purest form of, of, of the the trade union responses to. Price gouging on on such basic necessities necessities of, of life as energy and food and you know so plus we've got a, like a horrible right wing government that's pushing every kind of like neo Nazi agenda that can get their bloody hands on you know so I, I see a sublime moment on the horizon I see an understanding of this on the right, a kind of understanding. Their analysis is always a bit substandard, but they know how to do stuff. They have, a, like, a box of dirty tricks. They don't have an analysis, they have a box of dirty tricks. So, this is what I mean by the day after, you know. What, 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 where, where, where are we heading? What can we put in place now so as not to suffer the fate of Tahir Square? And Egypt and Syria. What can we put into place now? What needs to be done? So that's my question. And 
what I wanted to do in this podcast was to actually just take a, a couple of steps back in, in, into a realm of abstraction and into actually into the realm of utopian speculation. Because this, this is the sort of long-term way we try and figure out the day after. And you've heard me speak about this many times if you listen to our podcasts. And you know um, that, that I, I really do take the point that utopian socialism maybe or utopian speculation is kind of fairly dangerous. Especially when you try and put it into effect. Whilst at the same time, I don't believe we can kind of move forward without trying to consider our options and, and utopian speculation is the way of doing that. And when I say consider our options, you have to. This is this is really about envisaging what type of society you would like, and and in that process, clarifying the values that you think the society that we will bequeath to our, our children and grandchildren, and our descendants, uh, would be like on on the ground of values, on the ground of what we think is important as a collectivity. Do we think education is important? Should it contain religious elements or not? Should it encourage critical thinking or should it encourage obedience and saluting the flag? I mean, these are all these these are values and these are all real things that are all that are up for grabs at the moment. You know, so this is the role of utopian speculation, and it's a complex it's a complex one because it has dangers as well as being absolutely necessary. So I want to address the day after at that kind of slightly remote level, slightly academic academic level. But then I want to come back out of that and 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 figure out if we've said anything, if we managed to say anything sensible, how that might apply in a much more more practical way, and what I want, what we want to be saying to the the twelve people who listen to our podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you've Hi got guys. To, you've got to have a hobby, you know. Yeah. You've got to have a hobby, haven't you? <laughs> now, this, uh, this rarefied um, consideration of some, some utopian speculations that I have just, uh, just mentioned is really taking the form of a, cu- a, a couple of fairly sketchy book reviews in fact rather than separate book reviews like a kind of a comparison or a collision between a a couple of semi-academic works books recently published books for fairly recently published books Uh, published by people with with, with sort of academic credentials you might say and you know and they're they're kind of good analytical books but which are sort of quite accessible and readable and I want to I want to allow these the main ideas in these books to collide a little, and I want to say what I think is good and useful for this question of the day after, and what I think is possibly less useful, useful for this question of the day after. Yeah, the, f- the first book is by Aaron Bastani, and it's called I think Fully Automated Luxury Communism. And I read that a month or two ago. It's uh, very readable. And it's about what the title says. It does what it says on the tin. It delineates Bastani's utopian vision of a society which has realised fully automated luxury communism. And the second book is a book called Beyond Money, 
which I read, finished reading the other day, and it's by somebody I know nothing about, Anitra Nelson. And I think it's a woman, I don't know that for sure, and uh, an Australian person. And again, it's, it's, it is a kind of an attempt to address the day after through some utopian speculation. It's very finely argued, I would say, but again, again, readable. But, you, you know, you have to concentrate, but it's, it's, it's readable. It's, it's written in a very readable style. I kind of read it pretty quickly. And, you know, you, you, you can kind of romp through it, as it were. Aaron Bastani, you might know, is uh, one of the leading lights of an alternative media effort that goes down in Britain, but does get, does get viewed on YouTube and Twitch, I believe, worldwide. I believe Aaron Bastani is, uh, has a PhD in political science, but seems he's given his, um, his career over to this uh, uh, alternative uh, journalism. And Navarra media is not bad. I find them sometimes a little bit centrist, <laughs> maybe. But uh, they're very good at analysing the, 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 some of the nitty-gritty of, 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 of the UK scene. So, enough waffle. What, what, what are the points I'm taking from these two books? Yeah. Well, uh, Bastani's book, I mean, very roughly, he, he seems to think that, you know, the forces of production, technology, uh, will, will, will plough on to such a point that the problem of necessity on planet Earth will pretty well be, be solved and there will be a cornucopia of, of the things that we need. So it's a kind of cornucopian, utopian speculation. I mean, an instance of this is he thinks that, well, we have this wonderful technology, like this thing that I'm using here now, but it actually relies on some pretty rare elements, you know, rare earth, cobalt, these, these kind of things, which, which are only got by our tech companies um, from regimes which have these awful murderous regimes and these awful murderous, murderous kind of corporate setups whereby these these necessary raw materials for the manufacture of our high technology are obtained. And we all know about the cobalt mines in 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 uh, in, in Central Africa. You know where, where there's all kinds of appalling human rights abuse goes on. And. Uh, he thinks, for instance, that that problem would be, would be solved by mining asteroids, which, of course, is what, what, what Elon Musk said, you know, you send, send, send a rocket up. Because there are asteroids floating around there in the asteroid belt, which are kind of made as pure gold, you know, or, or pure, pure platinum or something like that, you know. The idea is you go up with a, with a rocket and you mine some of it and then shoot it back down to Earth. And I think it's technically feasible. I think it probably will happen. But... Um, Maybe it won't. It, and, and if society collapses to such an extent, say the global warming is, is, is so bad and the movements of populations are so bad that we really have got like basically a Mad Max kind of scenario, none of this high-tech shit is, 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 is going to go on, you know. It's going to move forward. And that, the objection to it, the objection to his thesis, I would say, is that, well, is the one I've just made, you know. It all kind of depends on it all hanging together for the next 50 years or something like that. 
So, uh, uh, you know, in other words, the objection is that what he's, what he's proposing is actually implausible. Or, and, well, and even if it is plausible, you would have a, a very, very hard job on your hands persuading the people in general that it was plausible to the extent that they could kind of get behind it. Like now, because remember, we're talking day after, we need some stuff in place now, right? Mm. So I think that's a problem with that, and uh, I'm, I may actually review it, or I may, I, I, may, I may review it and send it to him, you know. So there's a general problem around the plausibility, as there always is with utopian speculation, if you think about it. I mean, you know, utopian speculation is an area in which we let the imagination run free. And that, that, is, the, that is a good thing about it, but of course, you, you don't worry about the plausibility while you're doing that. Because that's not that's not the job. The job is to see what our values are in all this. The job is to see what it might look like if we organise society this way or that way or that way. And so, and maybe the job is to avoid trying to make it actually happen because you end up with Pol Pot if you do that. Or, or the terror after the French Revolution was one exactly utopian. That was a revolt over unfair taxation, you know, and, um, and and gross inequalities of wealth and power. That's what that was about. Same stuff as actually that's actually creating quite a lot of disquiet, unrest, and anxiety now. Gross inequalities of wealth and power, unfair taxation. Nothing new under the sun, is there? You know. So that's my problem with with with, with the Bast- the Bastani book. Well, the, well uh, you know, let's not be totally negative about it. What's, what's good about it? Well, is, is the way it does clarify certain values. It does clarify certain values, doesn't it? You know, it's like, well, we want stuff. We, we, we like having stuff. So there's a sort of a, a materialism which, and, uh, which is kind of is repudiating and pushing back against the, the puritanism that the left and greens and so people can have. You know about mater- mater- having plenty of material goods. There's a kind, of, there is, there is a famous kind of left, and, and, and the Greens are even worse. You know, a kind of puritanism. We call this Malthusianism. Is Malthusianism. The idea is that the scarcity, and there, 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 there always will be. And uh, Bastani is saying that isn't necessarily the case. The means exist and are plausible. And he gives other examples other than the mining of the asteroids, some of which are more plausible, really. You know, he's, he's saying, well, the problem, the problem of scarcity can be solved through the technical means, as long as we organise society sufficiently to do it. Now, if there's enough of everything for everybody, you don't need money. And I think his proposal there is that you'd go for, instead of universal basic income, you'd go for universal basic services. And I've thought about this a lot because I'm a bit of a fan of UBI, but I think universal basic, basic services might be better in some ways. You know, that means that means free education, free healthcare, free food. Just go and get it. You just go around the supermarket and walk out. You know, uh, free broadband, all the rest of it. You know, and you could see like Jeremy Corbyn edging towards this, putting a little sliver in the door there with the free broadband, which which the the gutter press libelled communist broadband. Now they all wish they'd got it, especially in the pandemic when this was the means, the only means of carrying on with education for young, young kids. I mean, man, they've, they've had it rough, you know, I think, because education's very important, you know, and even kids that don't like it, it's kind of no. 
well, we've got to do this. We need, we need this shit that they're trying to give us, you know, or some of it at least. So, it, his discussion sort of is angled around that, that axis, you know, of cornucopianism, the idea that plenty is possible. As a pushback against Malthusianism, the idea that scarcity will always be with us. And I think I think the fact that he brings that out in itself is a good point. Is, is a good point, you know. I mean, he calls it communism because well, everybody had have enough of ev- everything, and and that well, that's communism, you know. If, no, if no, nobody nobody n- needs anything, they don't have any incentive to get like stupidly rich, you know. Why, why would you bother if you, you, you can just if, if your life is just support, supported by by a society that's so efficient in getting the things that we need without destroying the planet? Of course, all of this has to be without destroying the planet. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well because it's going to uh, be very, mm. very uh, environmentally damaging to uh, launch yeah. all those rockets well, to uh, mine the asteroids yeah. and things I mean, and to does... build them. Surely. I'll be fair to him. He, he tries to address that problem, and, and we're, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't remember whether I thought he was success, successful in that or not. I say that it's it's plausible to have a high-tech civilization that's kind kind to the planet. It's going to take a bit of doing. Oh yeah. It's what the Chinese communist. I mean, everybody thinks the Chinese communist party are, 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 are sort of like about four times more evil than old Nick himself, you know. But this is actually their agenda for their next lot of. Um, zones, economic zones, is that, that they will see if they can they can experiment with common prosperity is the word they use. Common prosperity, you know, the the, the idea that we have a society in which everybody is, is 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 like just moderately prosperous to the extent that they don't have to feel insecure all the time. Because we've got the opposite of that, haven't we? The insecurity that people are feeling now is off the scale completely off the scale and it's 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 something that if you've lived at the bottom of society you'll be quite familiar with and uh, i'm sure both you and i have had that thing well where's the next 10p coming from you know i've certainly lived through that and i know my parents lived through it and i know my grandparents lived through it that's just simple byproducts of capitalism um, but but now it's 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 filtered up into the middle class again, isn't it? Now and maybe maybe something will happen, and you have got like barristers going on strike, like indefinite strike. They're not just having a few days off. They're saying that's it. We're fucking down tills until you sort it. You know, barristers, teachers, junior doctors, nurses. These are people that pride themselves on, you know. But of course they rely on wages just as much as a postman or a plumber or a railway worker. They just, they just you know, they can command sort of quite high wages in some respects. Well, n- nurses are not particularly high paid, but they have quite a lot of status. Teachers are not particularly high paid, and that's like headmaster or something. But they have like a lot of status, you know. I, I would recommend if these topics are of interest to you that you're going to get it and give it a read. Now, to turn to Beyond Money by Anitra... Nelson. Well, I would level the same criticism against this book as I do against Vastani's book. Is the general implausibility. Now, what she what she recommends, I think, might actually be possible. But you know, you're going to have a right job getting people behind it. In other words, there seems there has to be some sort of cultural change. 
for her speculations to, to become manifest in, in any measure. Same with the Bastoni book, it requires a cultural change. It requires like a, a complete change in the, in, in, in the generally shared common sense or the, the world picture of the people in general. In, in Bastoni's case, to, 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 to take it seriously, the scarcity could be, can be overcome. And in the case of the, the Anitra Nelson's book, it's, it's, you, have to, you would have to persuade people that we could abolish money. Uh, Nelson's basic uh, point is that, that, that the, pre, the precursor to her utopia is one of the abolition of money, somehow. So I'm going to give a basic description of what I think the kind of main thesis of the book is. And it's very close to speculations that, that we've come out with, if you go back over our podcast, especially in the early days, I was talking about this a lot. About, in fact, I was talking about uh, uh, the way in which society would, um, would collapse, that we were heading for some kind of like global collapse. If, if and when... And it seemed to be happening even then, five years ago, when we started doing these, or whenever it was. The various systems that compose existence as we know it all, all fell into chaos more or less in sync. It's what they call the perfect storm, isn't it? Yeah. Perfect storm. And, and saying, well, society will collapse, so what we'll have to do is, is retreat into local communities. And you'll remember I, I kind of said that there were precursors to this. The collapse of the, the Roman Empire was perhaps characterised by retreats into local communities, into smaller units. We can already see this happening. And so I, I, I was recommending, well, let, let start community building now. And I had ideas about local, maybe like local, local, local currencies and stuff like that. Nelson discusses all this, you know, the role of UBI, the role of let's, you know, local currencies, like they could have like the Barmouth, the Barmouth cent, you know, or, or something like that. She considers all that and thinks that actually, no, you've got to get rid of money because if it, you, you won't get rid of capitalism, which is the problem, right? Mm. Unless you get rid of money first. My thought was that money, money would fade away after as, as local communities got their stuff together, became, very, became prosperous and self-sufficient, which they could do. I don't think that's beyond the realm of possibility at all. I think that's, that, that, that would be, could be relatively straightforward with the right cultural support. And that then money would fade away. You just have your universal, your universal basic services. And, and the conviviality that, that a small community can bring. Huge communities can't do this, you know. Huge, huge gigantic empires can't do this. They're too big. Local communities can and do. And that was, that was the point, you know. So, so she's recommending this retreat into local communities and the abol abolition of money. But she envisages that uh, through, through the technology that there would be like some kind of like global connection between communities, which was exactly what I thought, if, that if, if, we have a global, if we have global societal collapse, which I think it looks to me like is happening, it's happening even in China, even in China it's happening, 
which has got the, the most resistance to these these problems that it, it we, we should work really hard to make sure that a lot of the infrastructure is maintained particularly the internet that we could use perhaps like you know block, blockchain style technologies to make sure that the world is interconnected even though we all live in sort of optimal optimal size communities small communities thousand people towns of a thousand two thousand areas regions you know that have a very very high degree of self-sufficiency and they're all this supply chain stuff and f flying beans from africa to covent garden you know and all that stuff makes no sense you know plus obviously with with, with um renewable energy instead of the re re reliance on fossil fuel which of course the reliance on fossil fuel is, is really at the core of, glo of, the, of the kind of globalised system that we've got. So this, would, so this vision is of, of, lo of, of, lo of local communities being the basic unit which people live, but local communities are enmeshed with each other, network with each other, friendly exchanges. Some, some trade, some import and export of the things that you can't actually produce. And all coordinated through something like like a kind of a blockchain glo global internet, yeah. But money would fade away later once the prosperity would come. Fun. So I'm I'm very favourable to what to what she's describing because I kind of described it myself. He Nelson is less friendly to the technology than 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 I was at that time. At the moment, I think I might have retreated a little bit from such, such enthusiasm. Uh, she does envisage a role for it, but she says, you know, if we kind of keep making making f like iPhones and computers that become obsolete in a year, and we keep buying them, that that, that in itself will choke the planet to death. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and that in itself is unsustainable because of the of the the rare resources that are needed in manufacturing these things. So, so I've got, as with Bastani, I've got some sympathy. But I see the problem of implausibility. You go and try and have a talk with anybody in this town. Say, we've got to abolish money. I mean, say the British, the British economy and the British culture has collapsed to such an extent that we all just huddle together, all those people in Barmouth. Which I, I think, given what I'm learning about the people of Barmouth, we could do very, very well. We would coordinate, we would cooperate. We already have a culture of that. Because we're a small town with a community. I don't expect it would be 100% plain sailing, but I think we would have a chance here because of that. But then imagine in the situation we're saying to people, we've got to give up, we've got to abandon money. Or some kind of accounting system whereby people's obligations to each other were, were, were accounted for. So that you wouldn't get the situation where some two or three enthusiastic people do all the work for no reward. And, peop and, 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 and and a whole lot of people kind of like ride on their backs, as it were. People would want a system of obligations and debts and stuff, stuff like that. Now, Nelson points out that uh, and uh, that societies do exist that without money, and have existed, even though money's been around a long time. There are societies that, that have different ways of making sure everybody gets what they need to live, and making sure that those societies are convivial. And livable, nice to live in, in which there isn't too much insecurity. Right, so I'm, I'm sort of like, I'm, both of these people, I'm sort of on board with them.
but they, 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 they hit the utopian limit, which is, which is implausibility. So what I'm drawing from this, for what we need to do in this disjuncture, is, is obviously the work that, the, that, that our trade union guys are doing is, is fantastic. It really, really is fantastic. Because re- there is real movement. There's real movement towards change. But they do. And that, they do this deliberately. They have what I call trade union consciousness. They're not quite... They're, they're actually sort of stepping back from the notion that you do any... That they're, they're in the business of doing social engineering. Or politics. They say, no, I'm, we're... Mick Lynch says, I'm defending the interests of my members. They're being impoverished. It's not, it's not right. The companies are paying out massive fucking dividends to useless arseholes who, 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 who do nothing. Or, actually, to foreign, foreign companies. Foreign, foreign companies own half of this stuff, you know. Yeah. And they're getting, getting the dividends. And he, points in, and, and he kind of deliberately restricts it to that. That's trade union consciousness. And, and there's a wisdom in it, I think, in the short term. It helps to sort of bat away the accusation that the gutter press and the BBC and all the rest of the, the hegemonic press are, are going to throw at him. That he's playing politics. So, there is a wisdom in it, but at the end of the day, they'll have to kind of serve a vision, a bigger vision and a broader vision, especially if they're successful. We have to support all that. And if, if, you know, if you're of working age and all the rest of it, you get, get, get yourself in a union quick. Let's build the union movement back up. And if you if your thing is, is, is electoral politics, well, there's work there is work to be done there. But I would also say remember that we don't have a democratic system. It's rigged. The inf- the information that that people need to make their decisions is very is hard to come by because the good the good to press works entirely for the the uh, the corporations and and their their lackeys. In, in the in the parties in the political parties, we have an unelected head of state, an unelected second chamber, a monstrous uh, entity like the Privy Council, and so on, and no workplace democracy. So you have to be. It's almost like somebody's got to do that. That needs to be captured, but at the same time, it cannot be relied on to bring about the change. It can't be relied on at all. And I mean, I'm I'm sort of getting on a bit now, and, and I've seen several Labour governments which claim to be like uh, the the party of Labour, the party of workers, but they've never really done anything except tinker around the edges and throw a few more crumbs off the table. Perhaps with the uh, uh, the exception of some aspects of the Attlee government, which was NHS and and the NHS as well, you know. So. There's work to be done there, but but the idea that we can rely on that, I think, is just plain daft. It's not right. There needs to be, and Chomsky said this, you're not going to get anywhere without civil disobedience. Not riots, not demonstrations, civil disobedience. Become ungovernable. When we're ungovernable, we can start building our own stuff. But I think we need to be getting ready for that now. What we need to be doing, and taking this point from Nelson, is building the communities... Build your local communities, and she actually says that that you might, this might be construed, or it might have to pan out as 
building safety nets for local communities so we can kind of manage the collapse because it's unavoidable we have to manage the collapse by being ready by having the safety nets by building communities and unions can do this and local Labour Party branches and Green Party branches can do this build your community, offer services to them so that they know what you're about get out there, do good work if you've got the wherewithal look after the people around you all of that's going to help so that we're ready right and I think that is the lesson I take from, from all this as I say Bastoni maybe is the, 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 the less plausible of the two I don't know I don't know about that but he very usefully points out you know that the categories of plenty cornucopian plenty and complete scarcity the idea of the Malthusian versus the cornucopian is extremely useful for, for figuring out what needs to happen the day after so both of these books are useful and, and, and the collision between them I think is useful because Nelson is not exactly a technophobe and does see a role for the technology but also very realistically points out some of the, dra the drawbacks of the idea we can we can, we can move into a more and more and more and more te te technological civilization. There's some parts of our technological civilization that will have to be rolled back. There are some parts which are brilliant. I mean, she's very interested in saying, well, alternative money ideas are very, very limited use, you know. Uh, cryptocurrency, USB, local, local currencies, you know, let's, if people remember the let's go. I think that criticism sort of quite trenchant. But both, of course, both of these guys are employing, whether they know it or not, perhaps, that, that there's a lot of superstructural work needs to be done. Culture. People need to have the, 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 the courage, the desire and the strength to dream and the strength to imagine. We need, we need political, social and human imagination. We also, as I keep repeating, need to be aware of the dangers and how to be circumspect about that. So, I mean, I can see these are the tasks, really, that, that are brought into relief by both of these authors and which become even more vivid if you allow those authors to collide against each other, in, if you allow them in your imagination to talk to each other. Because in that, a lot of the problems we face are very, very apparent. But I'm a philosopher, I have more questions than answers. My job is to try and find out what the questions are. Because a lot of the questions being asked are not even real fucking questions. Indeed. So thank you everyone for coming on this slightly windy walk with us today. Looking down over the beach and it's absolutely packed. Oh, yes, but it's quite quiet up here in the hills. Not so many down this end of the beach, look, if you kind of go actually, out of town. Actually, no, the, yeah, the, the, oh. the other end, the, the less popular yeah. end, is actually nice and quiet. So yeah. if you ever come here, go to that end. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, folks, I hope you're doing okay. And we will speak to you again soon. Hope you're having a good apocalypse. Make knowledge great again. Ask the right questions. Dabo here.